Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Sure. Guys, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm excited about today. Don't get me wrong, but I can't help but be excited about next week. And to realize that, you know, a year ago, let me just tell you, for a lot of the people that are, that are currently on our dream team, a year ago this week, which would have been the week before, we had no clue, we had no clue what was about to happen. We were just going for it, and, uh, and we still are. I mean, I think that's pretty much still our strategy, is like, just go for it. Just go for it and see what happens. But guys, listen, I'm telling you, this is my, my last pitch for this week before next week, other than blowing up social media this week, and I hope you'll help us with that is to make sure, make sure you're here, but listen, don't just make sure you're here, make sure you're here early. Uh, for one, there will be, it will be tighter, and, uh, and also you're not gonna, you're not gonna wanna miss uh, what we kick off with at 10 o'clock, and uh, we're gonna have some special elements that we add, everything's gonna be added to continue to help pointing people to Jesus, that's what we do, and, uh, and then afterwards, hopefully you don't go anywhere, uh, if you have plans, cancel them. They're not, they're not, they're not important because our after party is going to be so much stinking fun. Uh, free taco truck, dessert truck. We're going to have tons of stuff for kids of all ages. So that includes the people that are left in this room. And uh, music, we're just going to have a blast. It's going to be great. And uh, just help us celebrate the goodness of God. That's really what we're doing. And, uh, and then on top of that, doing whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Can somebody say Amen. Amen. Remember, we're not a quiet church. Quiet is for the library and for some golf courses. Uh, but here we are, uh, we're looking to make some ruckus and have a little fun as we open up the Word of God and as we grow and as we learn. And uh, that's what we're doing today. So um, open with, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, hold on one second. Did you hear that? I love that sound. I love that sound. That's, that's the pages of the Bible. If you're, on the, if you're on the podcast. Anyway, uh, we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, that's okay. I always tell people every single week, make sure you download that free app. It's called YouVersion Bible app. Everybody should have it. Uh, even, if you don't, even if you don't believe that stuff, at least you got it on your phone in case something happens and you can look something up. And it always helps. But even if you don't have that, we'll have it up on the screen behind us. I'm talking. I need to turn there as well. And uh, what did I say? Mark chapter Two, Mark chapter two, and a really cool, um, yeah, a really cool uh, passage today that ties in with what I was talking about last week. And uh, last week I, I did a kind of a standalone message leading up to our anniversary to really, really hammer home uh, who we are as a church. I think it's so easy once you get a year into something or or whether it's a year, it doesn't even matter. If you get into kind of a flow and a routine and you get used to something, you get used to things being a certain way, sometimes you can you get comfortable, you can get stale, uh, and you just kind of start going through the motions. And, and that, that applies to probably any aspect of life, but in the church world, what happens when we get comfortable and what happens when we just get into kind of a mindless, blind routine, uh, we begin to forget why we're doing what we're doing. And so what, what my wife and I want to make sure that we continue to do as the pastors of this church is continue to stir the pot so that we don't allow ourselves to get into a place of comfortability that would lead us to becoming stale, that would lead us to just getting used to doing what's always been doing, sitting in the same seat, uh, doing the same things. And, and you know, we, don't, we want to kind of push the envelope because we have to be constantly reminded, I know I do because the Holy Spirit challenges me all the time. We have to be constantly reminded about why we do what we do. Here, I'm gonna, um, I almost forgot I was gonna say this too. Uh, for those of you that are, are new to Convo or relatively new, we're, we're a church that's connected with a church planning organization called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. It's not a denomination, they're a church planting organization and, and they helped us launch our church. And so we, as a church, we tithe 10% of everything that comes in uh, every single month. We send it to ARC, and 100% of those dollars goes into planting more churches around the country. And even now, it's expanding internationally. So I want you all to know something today. Your giving is helping 20 churches launch this morning. 
right now. Right now, in whatever time zones they may be, there are 20 pastors and 20 dream teams that are terrified and are just showing up. They're sitting there like, I hope somebody shows up today. But listen, you guys are, in that, and the gospel is spreading. And so this month, we're actually seeing 28 brand new churches start, 20 of them today. I think four of them had already went last week, and there's a couple more next week. And so I just want to let you know, that's something that you guys are actually making happen. And that's something that Convo Church is a part of. We love it. And um, all right, I gave you a little bit of time. Did you get to Mark chapter 2? Okay. All right, let me read this to you, and then I'm going to pray. Ask God to open up our hearts and minds, and we're going to dive into it today. Uh, in Mark chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1, we're going to go to verse 12. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. I love it when the news about Jesus spreads quickly. It says, soon the house where they were staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, if you ever wonder what Jesus preached, he preached God's word. It says, four men, somebody say four men, arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Verse 4 says, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. That's an interesting statement right there, isn't it? Think about that. They couldn't bring someone to Jesus because of the crowd. Jesus always had devoted followers. He always had fringe followers, and he always had the crowd everywhere he went. And I always find it interesting that it was typically the crowd, which was usually doubters or it was people that they, they didn't really believe, but they saw miracles. They saw him feeding lots of people, and they were coming for the free bread, and they were coming for the free miracle, or they were coming for the circus, you know. And so it was interesting that that group of people was actually keeping somebody who needed Jesus from getting to where Jesus was. So check this out. These guys are absolutely insane. I want these four men on our dream team. It says that they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they, <laughs> poor, whoever owned this house, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, above Jesus' head. I hope he had insurance. I don't know. It says, then they lowered the man on his mat, the mat that he was laying on. They figured out some pulley system, whatever, with rope to lower him down right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, and I'll add this, were offended. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You would think eventually they would put two and two together and figure this thing out. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? You know, God's always trying to get to your heart, isn't he? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Interesting that Jesus was more interested in forgiving the man's sin, that was his primary focus, than actually healing the man to get up and walk. How often do we focus on what's happening on the outside, and it can look great at some times, and it can look like a failure on the opposite side, but what God's trying to get to is actually past the superficial and what's happening on the inside of somebody's heart. And here's fun. This is fun. Imagine this in our environment right here. And the man jumped up, <laughs> grabbed his mat, and walked out through the, the stunned onlooker, on, onlookers, easy for you to say, and they were all amazed and praised God and exclaimed, we've never seen anything like this before. I love the fact, the simple fact the dude didn't hang around. I don't know why, but I find it humorous. Like he got lowered through a roof. There's dirt everywhere because most of their roofs there were like, you know, were, were sticks and sod, mud type of situation. Stood up, picked up his mat. He's like, all right, thank you. And just walks on out, you know. Anyway, I don't know. Father, would you open up our hearts, God? That's what you're trying to get after anyway. So, Father, today I pray that anything that may stand in, in between where we are and, and, and what you're trying to get at in us, what you're trying to bring life to, what you're trying to remove that is detrimental in our hearts, Father. Lord, help that, that barrier to me be removed. Help anything, any walls to be melted down, Father. We just want to embrace your love and your grace today. 
We want to be transformed into who you're trying to make us, Father, because we know that it's so much better than what we can do on our own. We thank you for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we by faith say yes and amen to what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, again, so just to kind of recap, last Sunday I was uh, kind of laying out this thing. I, I, I preached on the topic um, all for one, which, by the way, today is going to kind of be part two of all for one. And no, it's not a three musketeers type of message, uh, all for one, one for all. It's not what we're talking about. I just wanted to take these last week and this week as we get up to that point of celebrating one year of what God's been doing in and through Convo Church to really hammer home, guys, who we are as a church, what we are about, what our mission is. We are a missional church. We're not just, we're not a religious organization, even though all these things make you like check a box, religious organization. I hate that. I want to do other, but then it gets hard to explain to the people that you have to explain it to. Um, but we're not just some religious organization that just shows up, does religion, does our traditional things, checks our box that we did that, and we go back to our, our same old broken lives. Nothing changed, nothing's different, no relationship with God, no life, no hope, no faith. No, that's not what we do. Who we are as a church is we're dedicated to bringing the love and grace of God to the forefront of everybody's life. That includes ours, right? But it can't stop with us because there are people out there in our, in our families, in our communities, in our workplace, in our city, and obviously in our nation and around the world that are living that hopeless life, that are living that uh, life where they don't know why they would even have to consider continuing to live this thing called life. Because if there is no hope and there is no purpose and there is nothing to live for, then why are we dealing with all the pain that we have to deal with? They need to know. They need to have the same revelation that, that hopefully you have experienced, that there is something to live for. They don't, that, that there is a hope that they will find in a relationship with Jesus Christ that they will not find anywhere else. There's a selfless, unconditional love that they will find in a relationship with Jesus Christ that you can't find in any other man or woman. That's a great place for somebody to shout amen. <laughs> Y'all are just staring at me. You're making me self-conscious up here. Good gosh. Anyway. God, we spend so much time trying to get, um, we spend so much time trying to get uh, God to have our heart what God's trying to do is trying to get us to have his heart. And, and right, that take, that takes, it takes a paradigm shift in our minds. It, it, we have to change the way that we think. We have to change the way that we look at a day in front of us. We have to change the way that we look at the challenges that we face. And we have to change the way that we even look at great opportunities that may be in front of us. Because sometimes a good opportunity might actually be keeping you from something great that God's trying to do. And so we tend, we tend to jump around from good to good to good when God's trying to get us from good to great. And so, there, so we have to change the way that we think. And, and, in, and I'm not saying that, that lightly, like it's easy or it's just, oh, just flip a switch. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm thinking differently. Luckily there's, there's this beautiful passage that tells us that the way that we renew our mind, the way that we change the way that we think is by washing ourselves with the word of God. The word of God is going to be the thing that begins to wash and cleanse our mind and help us to renew and transform how we think. But I want to tell you this morning, if you are, if you are and I'm, I'm going to be talking to, to people on kind of both sides of the spectrum, because we want you to know, like, this isn't a church where just perfect people show up. This isn't a church for just people who think that they know everything about Jesus. This is a church where no matter what you think, believe, or even did last night, this is a place where you can belong. This is a place where you can find community, you can find love, you can find people that even if you're not on the same page with what we are about, you can still have people that are going to inspire you, encourage you, and help build faith in your life. But listen, if you are, if you are saved, if you are a, a born-again Jesus follower, meaning that you have repented of sin, you've dedicated your life to follow Christ, uh, you've put your faith in him, you've received his grace, then, then your life, which was previously headed for destruction, has now been given a rebirth and new purpose. That's really kind of the big transaction that happens when we do give our life to Christ. A born-again uh, born Jesus followers do not live for themselves. We just, we don't. That's, Jesus didn't live for himself. Jesus didn't show up and he's like, y'all know who I am, right? Because if you did, I think this would be a whole lot different. No, he didn't do that. He came in and he humbled himself and he began to serve. He actually refers to himself later, we'll hit that scripture later, almost as a slave to humanity. A strong verbiage. 
But that's the heart of God. He came to serve, and he also came to seek after and save that which is lost. And so listen, our life focus gets redirected to be missionally connected to the cause of Christ. And it's, it's a big deal, and many, many Christians miss this. We stop at the point of salvation, and we think, well, at least I'm not going to hell now, so we're good to go, right? All right, so, um, all right, Jesus, take me, go. No, no, he's like, no, now I'm not just saving you, I'm also calling you. Salvation brings you maybe into a place for eternity, but it also brings you into a place now of calling, where God's trying to put purpose. He's trying to breathe purpose into your life. It's not about perfection. That's not our goal. We're trying to live on mission as Jesus followers. And you know what? It's a day-to-day thing, isn't it? I tell you, I'm be transparent. I have days where I'm like, I feel like a passionate Jesus follower, and I have days where I want to hide under a pillow and say, somebody else will do it today. <laughs> Nobody else. Okay, great. Thanks for telling the truth in church. Anyway, so what would you do if you had an opportunity to help somebody who was not able to help themselves? What if, what if somebody's life was at stake? I think we could probably all put ourselves in some scenario that we can, it's kind of extreme. You're like, yeah, I would, I would respond. I would help, you know. And, but I think oftentimes, and I hear this a lot in, in the Christian world, where the thing that holds back so many people is this little statement. And the statement is, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready to, and then, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it may be. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would totally do the things that I see Jesus do in Scripture, but I'm just not quite, I'm just not quite ready yet. And I would say, if I was going to put a meaningless stat next to this, I would say that 99%, <laughs> you know that two-thirds of all stats are made up on the spot, but 99% of the not readiness is a lie from the devil. Because here's the thing, guys, listen. Jesus is not looking for your readiness. He's not looking for your physical preparation. He's not looking for getting to a certain level of education. He's not looking for you to memorize X, Y, Z number of Bible verses. He's just looking for someone who has a heart that says, I'm willing, Jesus, to follow you and to be used by you. And I hope, honestly, I hope that takes pressure off of somebody this morning who's trying to measure up you're trying to get all your stuff together. You're trying to look the part. You're trying to act the part. You're trying to get yourself in a position where, in all honesty, let's be truthful, where you can control the scenario around you and then be able to say, now I will follow you, Jesus. God's just trying to get at our hearts. He's looking for people that are willing to say yes, even if they don't know how to do it. Um, maybe in years past, I would have ventured with arrogance to say, yeah, we can plan a church, no problem, ain't nothing to it. And then you do it, and you're like, wow, we don't know what we're doing. What are we going to do? I don't know, let's just, let's just show up and go for it. <laughs> so you laugh, but I'm like, that's how we roll. We just show up, and we're going to go for it, and we're going to trust God with the rest. Amen. I think of um, examples where, where people get beyond their feelings in order to react to something that is happening in somebody else's life. So we all hear stories, like these are the stories that show up on you know, they, they go viral, they show up on the news, whether it's a soldier who's, who's significantly wounded in battle and is physically not able, we would think, to do something, but ends up using their own wounded self to go and help and rescue somebody to get them to safety. Right, we hear stories of that. They make movies about stuff like that. You know, uh, uh, parents that are willing to sacrifice all and work multiple jobs, single moms, single dads, you know, and even, even together families that are still just trying to do whatever it takes so that their kid or their children are able to have a better opportunity than they had growing up. They don't, they're not ready. <laughs> Somebody's like, I'm just waiting until I'm ready to have kids. So I, I just laugh at them. I'm like, <laughs> point and laugh. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just waiting until I'm financially ready to get married. <laughs> okay, all right, you do that. Oh man, cracks me up. People are so funny. But listen to this. Here, here's a real one, and this is one that has challenged me. I've seen it happen. People that are struggling in their own sickness, but instead of wallowing in their pain, they're stepping out in faith, praying for others to be healed. That challenges me. 
And so we, there's, there's tons of scenarios that we can all think of, but when we, when we bring it home for where we are and for where God has us, maybe we don't have those type of like obvious, uh, dramatic moments in front of us. It could just be an everyday moment where God's asking you to get out of bed, and by faith, you get out of bed. Where, where God's asking you to be faithful at the job where he's placed you, and even though there's the boss that you just want to kind of, you kind of want to, uh, pray for him, and call it the five-fold ministry, you know, what did the five fingers say to the face? Anyway, but you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming, and I'm not just going to keep coming with an attitude, I'm going to check my heart, and I'm going to keep coming, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve, not like I'm serving this, this person who's maybe my boss or employer, and, and I'm having a hard time with, I'm going to turn this into my service to the Lord, and I'm going to allow God to use me in this environment to see something happen. Like we can all find those moments, but at the end of the day, and this is where it really gets, this is where Christianity, this is where being a Jesus follower is really so simple. Because when you don't know what to do, all you gotta do is find an example of Jesus doing something. Be like, okay, I'll do that. So let me read, would y'all like one of those cheat sheets? A little cheat code, okay. All right, so let me read this to you. Philippians chapter two, uh, in the Passion Translation, I love the verbiage here. Verse three, it says, be, uh, be free from pride-filled opinions. That'll preach, right? It says, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. Verse 5, check this out. It says, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Now check this next line out. This is huge. Let his mindset become your motivation. Wow. Even for Jesus, it was a mindset, wasn't it? We, we over, Jesus was 100% God, 100% deity. But he was also on earth 100% man. So the Bible even goes on to tell us in different places that he's, he has faced every, he's faced every temptation that we face in life, yet he did not sin. He has endured every trial and obstacle that we would have to endure, and that's how he was able to become a savior for all. Because he can save you from what you're going through. He can relate to you. He can empathize with what you're going through, not just out of a generic empathy, but out of actual experience. So no matter what you find yourself going through, you got to know that Jesus can relate, and which is why he can also become the answer. He says, let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory, talking about humility here, by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant, he became human. He humbled himself, he became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Listen, when your mission is your mindset, the lost become your motivation. Let me say that again. When your mission is your mindset, the lost become your motivation. We're trying to get the mind of Christ, right? That's what the Bible teaches us. We're, as a Jesus follower, your journey is every single day more and more uh, becoming more like Christ, identifying and adopting the thoughts, the mind of Christ into our own life. And so to, when you know the mind of Christ, you know what Christ exists for, which means that you can understand his mission. And God, more than anything, wants you to embrace for yourself the mission that is near and dear to God's heart. And it's a choice. It's something that we have to do. Just because, let me, let me add to this, because sometimes we think once we say, you know, the quote-unquote the sinner's prayer, we raise our hand, we pray a prayer, we we confess our sins, we recognize God, we put our faith in him, we invite him to come into our hearts and to save us, that we are no longer lost, but I know lots of, uh, lots of saved people that still live lost. And that's not a condemnation statement, that's usually, it's a statement that identifies the reality of where people are and the lack of knowledge that we have for who God is. Because if we really embraced and understood the fullness of who God is, we would never stop short at becoming who God says we can be. We would fully give ourselves over 
to the identity that we have in Christ, which is not a fixed creation, but a brand new creation. And we would stop living like the old dead self that we used to be with the old dead mindsets and the old dead broken habits and the old dead ways of thinking. We would, we would stop picking up that dead corpse and throwing it over our shoulder if we really knew the freedom and new life that God wanted us to have as a follower of Christ. So one of the last things that Jesus commanded before he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection was for all of Jesus' followers to go into the world, make disciples of Jesus, Jesus' followers, baptizing them, signs and wonders. We're going to follow those who would believe. And, and so and some people would call that discipleship, making disciples. But here, here's the deal. This is where I think so, so many of us have missed in the church world is we have relegated that to a classroom, to a book study. Uh, to, and that's never what Jesus did. Jesus lived on mission, and he said, will you follow me? And when people said, yes, I will follow you, he didn't take him to school in a classroom. He took him to school on the streets. And so becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ has less to do with the head knowledge, and it has more to do with the heart condition of who you're going to be as you choose by faith to wake up every single day and say, I am no longer who I used to be because God said that I have been redeemed and made a new creation. So today I choose to get up out of bed and get dressed and go out into the life that God has put in front of me, and I will continue to follow the example of Christ and as as I am in relationship with Jesus and other Jesus followers, it's not just you and Jesus. People say, all I need is Jesus. You're a liar. Because it's not all you need. Jesus, if, if that was true, Jesus wouldn't have had disciples. Why? Because he had himself. All I need is Jesus. Imagine him saying that. He getting up looking in the mirror with his positive affirmations. All I need is me. Let's go, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, if Jesus needed the 12, and within the 12, if Jesus needed the three, James, John, and Peter, and within that, he still was with the Father, what makes you think that you can exist successfully in this life without community? And listen, listen, not just any community, but a community of faith, a community of jacked up, imperfect Jesus followers that are just we stink with our old self. We're still trying to figure out how to bury this daggone thing. We're dragging it around because we don't know any better. And Jesus is like, just, okay, all right, just, just drop it. Like, just drop, 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 okay, okay, good. And Like, it's okay, it's okay to realize that when you first come to faith in Christ, that you're not a full-grown, mature adult Christian. That you are a baby Jesus follower that needs diapers changed. You don't even know how to eat yet. So we, we, we think that if discipleship means I'm going to put you in a classroom and I'm going to take spiritual steak and I'm going to shove it down your throat because that's how you grow. Try doing that to a baby and see what happens. You're going to be calling the pediatrician. You're going to be making ER visits. Listen, we, the beauty of the community of faith is the grace that we have for each other for the different places we are in our journey of following Jesus. I hear it all the time. I'm looking for a mature church. Okay, all right. It ain't here. You know, I really, I'm looking to be fed. How long have you been following Jesus? Oh, for years and years. Do you know how to make a sandwich? You take a slice of bread, a little PB&J, and, and then you put it in your mouth, and you chew it, and you bite it, Chew thoroughly. I have kids. We have to say this. Chew. It's not chomp and swallow, which that, I, I was guilty. Not my parents used to tell me that. Chew your food. Listen, they're, they're, you're always going to get a good meal by the grace of God when you come to church. But if you think that's the meal that's going to sustain you for six more days, you better learn how to cook something in God's word. You better learn how to open up your Bible. You better learn how to... You better learn how to find people that even if you don't know them all the way and they don't know you all the way, you can trust them to be in your life and you can allow iron to sharpen iron as you're walking next to people that are trying to figure it out too. All righty then. It is, it is irresponsible for a church to, to think that being a Jesus follower, that, that we can 
be so focused on our self-preservation and take our eyes off of the mission of Christ. So that's, that's the challenge, I think. I think that's a challenge for all churches. It really is. Because let me, can I be transparent for a moment as a, as a pastor who's, who's wanting to see our church grow numerically as we're seeing people saved and that wants to see people also continue to grow in their, in their relationship with God, spiritual maturity. Like it's, it's a journey and nobody is going to be on the same pace. So the moment that we begin to try to put demands on the people around us and the environment around us that everybody should be at the same pace as me, which usually comparison really screws things up because you're going slower than you should be going. So we're actually, you, so you're actually wanting to slow the pace down for those around you because spiritual growth isn't always about knowing the exegesis and the hermeneutics of scripture and how to break it down. Spiritual growth and maturity has to do with the intimacy and the knowledge of who Jesus is in your life. Now both can work together. Both should work together because the word of God will create more revelation of who Jesus is. But you gotta get past the head knowledge, it's gotta go into your heart. Can I get, can I get an amen? All right, half of, us, half of us are on the same page. That's good, that's good. All right, well, let me, let me dive from that into, into this text because there, there's, there's, every time I've read this or I've heard this, the focus was always on the interaction between the paralyzed man and Jesus, and probably rightly so because that's, that's pretty cool, right? Dude can't walk. We don't know how old he is. You know if he's been like that way his whole life, but whatever the backstory is, we know that he is paralyzed. It says so. And that he gets brought to Jesus. And Jesus heals. And we're always like, believe in the healing power of Jesus, which we should. And we're talking about, look how he didn't just heal him, but he also saved him. He forgave him. This man walked out, changed on the inside and on the outside. And that's a great message that I'll preach right there. But let me tell you something. Paralyzed man don't get to Jesus if it's not for the four men that carried him there. And so this is what I'm, this is what I'm, this is where I want us to continue to, to wrestle with as a church. This is what I want to continue to wrestle with myself as a Jesus follower. Am I willing to do whatever it takes to get people to where Jesus is? It's not where Jesus was, not where Jesus will be, but am I willing to do whatever it takes? And yeah, a lot of that has to do with, with our own pursuit of placing ourselves where Jesus is, and which I want to kind of remove some of the, the, um, the mystic nature of that because you don't have to go search and you just got to open up your heart. Because he's actually the one that's in full-blown, full-out full sprint pursuit of you. Full-out percent. Last week we talked about how the, the heart of God was to leave the 99 sheep as a shepherd and go after the one that got lost. And not to reprimand and not to break it. Some of you like, and you know, the, the shepherd would break the legs of the sheep so it couldn't walk away. I can't find that anywhere in that story. It just says that he picked up the lost sheep, put him around his shoulders, and came back and they threw a party because they found what was lost is now back alive. But you go further down into that same chapter, Luke 15, there's another parable where it talks about the prodigal son. And, and there were two sons. We always focus on the prodigal son, but there were two sons. One that was the younger that wanted the inheritance and wanted to run away and go do his own thing. And, the, and the, the grace of the father said, okay, all right, that's okay. You go do what you feel like you need to do. But there was an older son. The older son was the one that did leave. The older son was the one that was faithful every single day. The older son was the one that didn't waste the inheritance of the father, but he was that says but by the time the, the, the younger son came home ready to just kind of be a, be a servant for his father, and the father ran out and embraced him and forgave him and put, put the royal robe on his back and put the signet ring of the family on, on his finger and, and went out and killed the fatted calf. It was a barbecue, y'all. They were having ribs. They were having ribs to sell. This was going to be a party. And all of a sudden, the father's looking for the other son, the one who was faithful, the one that never left the father, the one that was always working hard, the one that was doing all the things, and he refused to come in because he was jealous of the attention that the lost son that came home was getting. And he said, where's my party? I've been serving, I've been working, I've been toiling, I've been here from the beginning, I've never left you, I've never done this and that. And because of the hard heart he was not even able to receive the joy of seeing his brother come back into the family. And I wonder in the church, in the Christian world, I'll go beyond the church, because there are a lot of people that are in the Christian world that refuse to be in the church world, and it shouldn't be that way. But I wonder how many of us in the Christian world have that attitude. 
where we look at the attention being placed on churches that are doing whatever it takes to go out for the lost and to bring them in. And yeah, maybe the, the messages that get preached on Sunday aren't coming from the book of Revelation. We're not talking about the exegesis of, of, of pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. We're not talking about what it means in the book of Revelations to, to decipher what the beast is and the horns and the, and the crowns and what nation is that and which American president is this one. And, and we're not talking about that, which we won't, by the way. It's just not, it's just not, no, it's just not going to, because we're going to continue to create that environment where anybody can walk through these doors wherever we are and be able to have a revelation of the grace and the love of who God is and the beauty of who our Jesus is so they can start that, revel that relationship because, you know, discipleship has to start with salvation. A lot of times we, we kind of get into this rut of we want to disciple, 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 and I'm, and I'm using the terminology wrong. Uh, but we want to, so we end up taking the exact same people through all the different things that we do. Like, well, now we're going to disciple on this. And like, and you're like, everyone's been through that. Okay, well, let's, um, let's do it again. <laughs> it's better this time. Maybe it is. I don't know. So you got you to understand my heart here as a pastor. This has nothing to do with shallow Christianity. This has nothing to do with with, uh, with living, being a church and living a life that's a, a mile wide and an inch deep, this has to do with us becoming desperate about a revelation of an, an ever-growing reality of who Jesus is. You know what's interesting? When you look at the Apostle Paul, when he first begins after his ridiculous conversion, you know, he was literally killing Christians. Let's not, let's not whitewash this when we read the stories in the Bible about what happened. Oh, he persecuted the church. He probably said some mean things about them. He was on Facebook blasting them publicly, talking about how it's stupid to have faith. No, he, that wasn't what, he was literally responsible for the death and the imprisonment of Christians. And so you see as Paul uh, matures in his faith, he doesn't talk about the greatness of, of his knowledge, which if you look at his background, he would probably was smarter than anybody in the room at any time. He actually the closer he gets in a uh, revelation of who God is, he sees the, the depth of his brokenness actually more and more. Actually, one of his last letters, which you would think as you progress, you feel more confident about who you are. But what Paul's example would tell us is that as you progress in your relationship with God, you actually become more humble about who you are and more confident in who Jesus is. Because in one of his very last letters, Paul refers to himself like, in one, he's like, I'm a sinner. And then to the last one, he refers to himself as the chiefest of sinners. The president of all, of all sinners. Like, hey, let's put that on my business card. You know, it's just, why? Because he realized the closer that he got to God, how great the love and grace of God was because the light of God exposed more and more of his insufficiencies as a person. So discipleship isn't about you being better. It's about you having a greater revelation of who God is and a greater humble understanding of who you really are. We got these three, these, these four friends. And actually, we don't even know if they're friends because it doesn't give us any backstory. Maybe it was four disciples that were passionate and they were going out trying to do the stuff they saw Jesus doing. Maybe they, maybe they had no connection to this paralyzed man at all. I don't know. But they saw him, they're like, all right, um, We've seen Jesus heal people, right? Yeah. We should, we should try to see if we can't heal this guy, right? Yeah. So, so what do we do? Um, well, Jesus just got back in town. So I don't know. Why don't we just take him to Jesus? Um, okay, so what are we going to? We're going to carry Yeah, we're just going to carry him, right? We good? Everybody's got a corner of the stretcher. Okay, good. You got him. One, two, three. Lift. Let's go. Let's get to Jesus. Get to the house. Oh, we got a problem. Okay. Um, house is full. Hey, excuse me. We got a paralyzed man that needs to. Jesus heals people. Hey, will you be quiet? We're trying to hear what Jesus is saying. And I heard he was giving out gift cards to McDonald's. So would you just be quiet? Okay. What would you, WWJD? He would not stop. We're not going to stop. There's stairs, because most of those houses would have stairs that would go up to. There's stairs. Let's go. What are we going to do? I have an idea. Just roll with it. Okay. Up the stairs. All right, hold them level. Don't let them slip out. Okay, we're up. We're on the roof. We got to find Jesus. How do we do that? We're going to have to dig a hole in this man's house. Okay. Because we're willing to do whatever it takes, right? And they're starting, and I don't I don't think they knew where he was. So that tells me they have a couple of test holes. They have a couple, they're they're digging, they're making it. No, he's head pops through. 
He's over there. What was it, about 10 feet? Yeah, about 10 feet. Bum, 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 bum. Almost. I mean, meanwhile, everybody's inside. There's mud coming down. There's sod coming down. People are getting poked in the eye with sticks that are falling down. Finally, like, hey, we got him. There he is. He's directly below us. All right, let's rip this thing open. Boom, boom, boom. They're ripping up. There had to be a big enough opening so they could lower the guy so he wouldn't fall off his mat, right? This is just my own logic as I'm reading between the lines of this story. And they got the rope. They're like, okay, even. One, two, three. We get him down. How crazy. Can you... Don't just read the Bible like a boring person. Would you get yourself in the story? This is crazy. This is amazing stuff that's happening right now. And so Jesus, I mean, it doesn't say that as Jesus, you know, stepped to the side. So I, there's probably dirt falling all over Jesus, and he knows what's happening. He's like, wow, they're actually doing this thing. Okay, sweet. This is going to make, and, and Jesus looking up, and it says that he could see the, the faces of the religious people in the room were already starting to twist. The hearts of the people that, that were having Jesus' uh, attention taken off of them and put it on somebody else, they were already beginning to twist. And it says they lowered the guy, they got him right in front of Jesus, maybe some, maybe some really good disciples around were helping him, oh, it's a little crooked, let's help him down here. And Jesus says, it says Jesus sees their faith. There, that's plural, right? I'm not really good at grammar, that's plural. So that's more than one, plural is more than, so it's not, he wasn't the faith of the God that was on the mat. I'm not saying that he didn't have faith, but it didn't say he saw the faith of the paralyzed man. It said he saw their faith, and he said, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. And then the religious people are like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Only God can forgive sins. And on the inside, Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one plus one equals K. And that's when we hear nothing else about the four. Nothing else. Jesus didn't pull them aside into the green room afterwards and say, hey, guys, just want to give you all props for that because that was pretty, that's going to go in the Bible. You don't know what a Bible is, but one day there's going to be a Bible. That's going to be in there. People are going to hear about this forever. It's going to be amazing. Good job. One, two, three, four. Let's go. Okay. Hey, y'all want to follow me? Okay, let's go. You hear nothing about these four. You don't hear the pats on the back. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Come on, church. You don't hear the shout out. Hey, shout out. To, uh, and we love our dream team. We always go over the top to do our best to honor dream team members and our dream team, our volunteers that make this thing happen. People coming in here 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, setting up. They're like, man, that's really early. It, well, not really when you're trying to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. You will, you will serve and convo kids if you're willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. You will be on the parking team when you're willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. You will inconvenience yourself and find joy in it when you're willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. So there was no shout out for these four guys. There was no hall of fame for them other than the fact that we get to hear about their, their, their nameless self in the Bible. And so in the church world, we've got this culture where I'll do it as long as I'm feeling appreciated enough for what I'm doing. What happens if you never get appreciated a day in your life? The reward isn't supposed to come from man. The reward's supposed to come from, the, from your heavenly father. It's actually a whole parable about that. We'll do that a different time. But one day, you're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. You, 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 you visited me when I was in prison. You clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. And we'll be like, what? What did I do? What was? And he's like, listen, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done for me. Too often we spend our time on the flip side of that, trying to get whatever, whatever you can do for me, however you can recognize me, whatever I can, attention I can get for this. See, that's what the religious people wanted. Jesus was looking for people who would just say yes. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. Never underestimate the ability of getting people to where Jesus is. Some people, I don't need the church for this. I can go out and be Jesus to people in the streets. Yes, do that. But if you continue to do that, eventually you're going to have some people that are following you around wondering about this thing called Jesus. And if you're successful in a small environment and people continue to come to hear about you and people are being healed and saved, guess what eventually they're going to need? A community of believers that gather together to grow in Jesus. Guess what that's called? It's called a church. We've got to get out of this anti-church mentality in America. We've got to get out of this attitude, this atmosphere where we say, well, we don't need that. Jesus needed it, and actually what he told us to do, he didn't use the word church because church isn't actually a Christian term. Church came from the Greek word ecclesia, which just means a gathering place. It's not even talking about religious stuff. So in, in the Greek, they would say, oh, we're, uh, we're meeting uh, 
uh, or meeting over at the church. The church would just be a public, you go to Italy, you go in Rome, you walk around, there's, there's ecclesias all over the place that had nothing to do with Christianity. It was just a place where people would gather. And so that, that, that word church just got adopted into the Christian world. Why? Because they always were getting together and gathering. They were getting together daily uh, in the temple, which was, that's what, they knew to, that's what they knew to do. But that was a place like, hey, where do we want to meet? I don't know. Um, we all know where the temple is. All right, let's meet there. And they would go and meet in the temple. And it says then they would meet in home to home. They had small groups. So I'm telling you, we can't, we can't fulfill the mission that God's put in front of us until we embrace the vehicle that God's given us to fulfill the mission. And the more that we spend our times, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower yet, I'm, I'm, just let me talk to some other folks just for a second for me to wrap this up. We can't continue to squash all over the vehicle that Jesus gave us for the mission and continue to be successful in fulfilling the mission that God's given us. And I know the church ain't perfect. Why? Because it's got people in it. People get hurt by the church. I get it. Why? Because there's people in it. People, it, it happens. Like, it, it's going to happen. And, and this side of eternity, that's something that we're going to have to wrestle with and, and ask for God's grace with and continue to move forward in. But at some point in time, we have to be okay with everybody else's imperfection in the same way that we desire them to be okay with our imperfection. And be able to come together, not with our similarities, but come together with what, is, what unifies us. The only thing that brings humanity together with any semblance of unity at all is God. Because he's the one that created you. He's the one that created us. Therefore, he's the only one that can unify us. So it doesn't matter whether you're white or black or Hispanic or Latino or wherever you're from if you're Asian. Because you have the same commonality that I do. And that's that God loves us and he created us in his image and we're brothers and we're sisters. So whether you're bringing in six or seven figures or whether you're struggling to get $10,000 a year, you're struggling to figure stuff out, those things don't divide us. They're just unique to who we are that create the beauty when we come together. Whether you come from a beautiful family or you come from a broken family, it doesn't matter. Can you stand up with me? I'm going to pray for you. Can somebody hop up on the keys? I'm going to pray for a couple of folks for us to, and then wrap this up. And um, We're going we're gonna to invite our tails off this week. Because I'm telling you, people, they want to come. They just don't know how to. If they know they're welcome, they know they're invited. They know that they can wear jeans. Holes and all. <laughs> you can wear a Yankees hat. If that's your thing. Just, just come. Just come to the Lord. Just, just get. I don't know what. Guys, I got these friends. They're going, they're going through a divorce. I don't know what to do. I don't. I don't what, what do I say? What do I do? Just, just get them to Jesus. I got a, got this guy. I know he's he's, a, he's an alcoholic. He's addicted to drugs. I, he's asking me questions that I have no idea. I don't know what to tell him. I, man, just, just get him. Just get him to where Jesus is. Well, Jesus is in me. Yeah, he is. There's a couple of beautiful Old Testament passages that talk about how one of us, the power of God inside of us, has the ability to put to flight a thousand, talking about how we can defeat the enemy. But guess what happens when there's two of us? It says we can put to flight 10,000. So, so our, the more that we gather together in number, the greater our numbers grow in the name of Jesus. We don't, we don't, we don't increase by addition we actually increase to the power of 10. And I'm not good at math. I don't need to be. Because if I can get the picture of what happens when just two people are gathered together in his name, I can get the picture of what can happen when the faith of, of dozens and the faith of hundreds and when the faith of thousands come together in the name of Jesus. So many times I've seen people's lives changed and no one even said a word to them. It was the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit healings that have taken place when nobody laid hands on somebody because they were in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Relationships completely restored, not with years and hours of counseling, but with a moment in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Addictions broken, not because of, of medications and not because of therapy and not because of these things. And I'm not even bad-mouthing that stuff, but we, we overestimate the external help and we underestimate the supernatural help that the Holy Spirit brings. 
You close your eyes for me right now. Today, if you're here, you feel lost, you feel broken, and you don't want to feel that way anymore. Can you raise your hand where you are? I want to pray for you right where you are. Again, lost doesn't mean that you're saved or not saved. It just means it's where I am. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room right now, Lord. Your heart breaks for the lost and for the broken more than any of us any of ours ever could. And so, Father, I pray right now, right here, in this moment, Lord, that you would come and do what only you can do and that you would supernaturally bring power and supernaturally bring love and grace into these moments. Lord, that you would, you would heal the lostness, heal the brokenness, reveal yourself to them as their shepherd, as their king, as their savior, as their Lord, as their God. God, that you are, you are not just an adequate God, you are a more than enough, so much more so much more. All right, put your hands down. We'll pray for somebody else right now. If you would say, I want to be like those four men. I want to have that, that missional heart of Jesus inside of me that's willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. If you're willing to say, I want that for me. I want to be that person. I want to live that life. Will you raise your hand right where you are? I'm going to pray for you. Say, I want to be used by God to help people that can't figure it out on their own. I want to be the one that helps them get there. I'm going to pray for you right now. It's just about all of us in here. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, that when in the midst of our lostness, you did everything that you possibly could so that we could be brought into a relationship with you, so that we could be saved, so we could be redeemed, so we could be forgiven. And Father, I pray for every single person in this room right now, within the shot of my voice, Lord, that would have that same hunger, that same passion, Lord, that you would burn it inside of our hearts. God, that it would disturb us Monday through Saturday. Don't let us walk past the people, whether it's on the street, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's those that are in our family, don't let us walk past them anymore and not have compassion on them the way that you had compassion on us. Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to see people the way that you do, God. Restore in us a passion for people. You pray for these things, I'm telling you God's gonna give you an opportunity. Monday through Saturday, God's gonna be putting stuff in front of you that you've never noticed before. It was probably already there, but now your eyes have been opened. This week, you're going to be challenged and pushed to the limit to encourage somebody, to step out to pray for somebody, to, to even share a part of your story with Jesus with somebody. Before, you were terrified because you thought they would reject you, but now I'm telling you by the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered to be a bold witness. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.